0: ...now that I'm high as a kite.
1: Well, this is really loud. You're high as a kite because you ate so much candy.
0: Yeah, and so because it took so long to get us going, I ate so many of those chocolates. I'm gonna have to go run three miles to try and get myself... You know, do you have a Bible, by the way? Uh, it's written on my heart. Oh, gee.
1: a Bible app? I don't believe in Bible apps. You don't strike me as a Bible app type of guy? No.
0: Take a look at me. (laughs) Okay, a lot of people think, oh, he's an old dude. But the real reason how you can tell I'm an old dude is I don't use Bible apps, I actually use a physical
1: Bible. Yeah. Yeah, I got one here for you. Oh boy. Dave was asking me if I have a Bible on me, I said... Nope, I got a phone.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, here we are again, Theology on Mission podcast, where theology meets mission. We aim to engage questions that our culture challenges us with for Christ and his kingdom. So I hope you're going to enjoy this Theology on Mission, this latest edition of Theology on Mission podcast with me and Mike Moore sitting over to my right. Yes. You were on a little bit of a vacation again, weren't you? Yeah,
1: I was in... Mexico well did you hear that I said again (laughs) this is coming from the guy that gets to fly around the world uh yeah but I'm working my uh off. I was working too It's hard to swim in the ocean. You ever swim in the ocean? It's difficult. Snorkeling is
0: very hard. Uh, You can only breathe through your mouth. This is not doing our reputation as a podcast very well right now. (laughs) So anyways, what's the topic for today, Mike Moore? Have you got a topic? I know uh, we've been talking about a topic, but I'd like to ask you whether you have a topic. Well, I got a topic here uh, from your Facebook. From my Facebook post. Yeah, which by the way you can follow uh, Fit Chest
1: uh, at Facebook and or Twitter. But anyways, go ahead. You want me to read it? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Th- this was uh this was this morning, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, this morning at about seven a.m., which is when I'm doing a lot of my thinking and reading and writing, uh, in, in McDonald's. And uh, yeah, sure enough, there there I was, and I came up with these uh, three questions, because I really am asking, uh, at our church, we're engaging with the issue of how do we gather um,
1: a table fellowship in the neighborhood. It's a big part of what we do as church. Okay. So go ahead. All right. This is Dave, writing this at 7 a.m. Approximately. A, with an Egg McMuffin in one hand and a cup of coffee. Never egg. I don't really? eat the egg. I eat the McMuffin a lot of times.
0: Sausage only, no cheese. And, <laughs> and uh, those, by the way, those... It's uh, cheap. Those uh, what do you call them uh, English muffins that McDonald's has? Mm-hmm. I think they're
1: very high quality. Yeah, yeah. I think ta- they the get the taste a of, bad the, rap. The sausage patties, I
0: don't. I don't the know sausage about that. patties. Who knows what's in those things? <laughs> but
1: the English muffins are pretty good. Go ahead, my friend. All right, three questions I ask. Parentheses get around to asking in starting a table fellowship in my neighborhood
0: and when I'm meeting with a person.
1: Yeah, yeah. So these are your three questions. Number one: Are you lonely? Two, are you angry? Three, are you lost? You know, that is, confused about what to do with life, its challenges, finding purpose. And then ask, can I invite you to a meal? To know and be known by people, to process your pains, anger, to discern life. Yes. This is the way that you go about uh, inviting somebody into table fellowship. Well, it's, um, first of all, you just don't go up to somebody
0: and say, hey, are you angry? Are you lonely? (laughs) Are you lost? (laughs) Okay, no, that's not not what's going on here. But um, really, when we are in... So so first of all, if I can just define what a table fellowship in the neighborhood is, and I'm going off of my work in Faithful Presence, uh, the book I wrote about this, where I said there are three circles and I tried to show that's not only scriptural, but it's historical uh, in terms of the way the early church thought about church. Um, But the table fellowship is in the neighborhood, as opposed to kind of like the close circle of discerning worship together. Um, The table fellowship is in the neighborhood, and and it's not to be confused with mission because we really have a half-circle table there, wherever we go, to be present with those who are hurting, those who are lost, those who are broken. Uh, but this is where the middle circle, I call it, the table fellowship in the neighborhood is where discipleship happens. Mm-hmm. This is true community, sitting around a table, eating a meal, intimacy happens. And so uh, I believe there's really no, that discipleship is really not uh, possible apart from actually being in a community regularly um and this this kind of undercuts all the individualist notions of discipleship that are common to evangelicalisms of the past you know like the even the navigator wheel which had a place for fellowship but Mm -hmm. it was like do your bible study do your prayer do go to church get your what you need uh and and various other individualist forms of of discipleship even by the way this is risky even one-to-one mentoring discipleship, there has to be a community where life is worked out, where you see God at work, not just hear a principle to be applied or memorize a scripture to learn and abide by. No, a community is necessary. So before I go on into how to gather a table like this, um, what do you think about that, the the individualist notions that drive discipleships
1: of the past? Yeah, I feel a, a little defensive instinctively because I'm like, oh, one-on-ones, you know, that that was a lot of my, my, that's been a lot of my ministry. But what I hear you saying is it's one-on-one that's not done in a vacuum. It's one-on-one that's done in the context of a community. Yes, yes. In fact, I would argue, okay, um, yeah,
0: one-on-ones have their place. But where you're really going to see God at work, where you're really going to work out your life, is in a group of people. I prefer the number 12, okay, although in a minute I'm going to argue that 10 might be also a valuable number. Mm-hmm. But here's where if we, say if we're going through struggles in marriage, we see other people going through struggles in marriage, and we see what God does over here and how it looks and how it feels. Or let's say somebody's going through a struggle with money or how Mm -hmm. to think about mission or how they have a broken, unreconciled relationship somewhere, and we actually practice it around a table. That's where real growth and real discipleship happens. And there will be times when something happens around the table where it's just it needs a certain level of privacy and intensity that
1: one-on-one will break off and take place during the week. And that's how I think discipleship should operate. Yeah. I think the, I think the one-on-one can, for some people it can be uh, a way to avoid intimacy actually. Hmm. Does that make sense? So I feel safe with you. We can meet one-on-one, but it's, able to you're able to control it you're able to control the content you're making sure it's only one other person that's hearing it mm-hmm. and it actually shuts you off from true intimacy that happens in a fellowship with other people
0: well i think
1: um okay
0: here's another dangerous risky mm-hmm. go for hey point. go for it you, well you you always do encourage me to go <laughs> to take the risk but often therapy sure yeah. with a counselor yeah of course even paid for professional counseling can uh, separate you from what's really going on in the rest of your life. And you can tell the story one way, and it's your way, and it's yeah. under your control. The narrative is yours, and it's never challenged, especially if the therapist is not in other parts of your life with oh, you. Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I, I think about the distinction as on stage and off stage. And you can be on stage with a the therapist and give them a really well curated story about this is what my life is like you know, your therapist isn't necessarily around the table with you or in your home or at the grocery store.
0: Yeah. And so,
1: um, yeah. So
0: really, again, uh, can discipleship happen apart from a real community? I would say no way. And uh, yet it's so hard for people to gather around a table regularly and develop the kind of friendship, you know. Yeah. Uh, my one of my main influences in my life, Stanley Hauerwas, I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever heard of him yeah. on this podcast. Once or twice, he'll say, "Christian life is not possible apart from friends."
1: It's good. Was that a good imitation? Oh, I was talking about the quote. The quote's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and so,
0: folks, we've got to develop close and meaningful friendships that can speak truth yeah. into our lives. This yes. is what half of the Pauline epistles are about, discipleship and community. So this all gets back to the fact that we have to have a regular meal somewhere. It doesn't have to be in the home, although Acts chapter two forty-six says they met in homes mm-hmm. from house to house, depending on which redaction of that particular text you take. Um, and and I think, okay, can I describe what um, a house group looks like? Yeah, yeah. For well, me,
1: d- describe it, and then maybe how it, how these questions around loneliness, antagonisms, you know, yes. discernment, and processing, how those all come to fruition. Yeah,
0: yeah. So our house group basically comes together. We, uh, it's, a, it's a potluck, so everybody brings something. Uh, usually someone, mainly my wife, other people say we're going to have tacos and mm-hmm. soup and um, somebody bring the beverage. And okay. everybody brings something, right. the meat or the toppings or the, what do you call those, uh, taco shells and, and, <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And, and then we all gather around. So first thing we do is gather around and pray the Eucharistic prayer. Lord, we give you thanks. We invite your presence among us. Uh, We pray, Lord, we thank you for this provision. And we pray, be present among us, help us to tend to what you're doing among us. And so then we eat around a table. And for the first hour, it is um, banter. It is it's not just meaningless banter. Mm-hmm. I'm checking in with you. You're checking in with me. How was that struggle last week? How'd you do with that issue in that relationship yeah. last week? You, you had a bill coming up and you were struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Everything go okay. How did this, you know, and we and we basically catch up for yep. the first hour. And we tend to one another. Somewhere around our beginning of hour number two, I always like to shift from wine to coffee. Hmm. Okay, at this decaf, point. Decaf. <laughs> well, no, for some of us, calf. Okay. Always caff. <laughs> Me caffeinated. But uh, then we have... Uh, a more pointed question that usually comes from the first hour or maybe the sermon that we just heard this week. Mm-hmm. or And we, we zone in on an issue. I call it a puzzling question. And it leads to everybody talking very specifically about what God is doing in their lives. And it helps people see and understand and ask questions, sort out things. And then after hour number two... By the way, often in hour number two, the younger kids go off and play while the adults talk significantly. And there's – lately in our group, by the way, when some of the teenagers get to be, oh, 13, 14, they start hanging out. Sure, Uh, Interesting dynamic and, and the change there. But nonetheless, serious adult conversations still go on. Uh, maybe a little bit different tone at some points but still mm-hmm. happens then and then uh, I'm getting to the third section which for us as a our group is always a half an hour we mm-hmm. gather to submit all things to God in prayer to pray for our neighborhood to pray for certain certain people uh, in our neighborhood pray for our own needs pray pray for uh, um, uh individuals to maybe come into our group once every six to eight weeks we have a party instead of meeting like this, mm-hmm. just to get to know some neighbors sure. and, and let them know what's going on. That's our house group. Okay. And I really believe it uh, It an, opens up space, favorite phrase of mine, mm-hmm. opens up space for God to work, for his presence to be made known. We've had some dramatic things happen in our uh, house groups over the years right. by allowing space for God to work in our lives in this way. Yeah.
1: And we support one another, care for one another and engage our neighborhood in this way. Yeah. And this is hard to do. It's hard to get people even around the table in the first place. This is what you were saying earlier. It is. It is. So, so my goal
0: is to break, is to get 10 to 12 Can I just give you a little vignette from uh, Brian Sanders Mm -hmm. and his latest book from Tampa Underground, Microchurches? He says, by the way, and I love this and this kind of – I put this on my Facebook recently, too. In Genesis chapter 18, Brian tells a story about Abraham. He has this strange negotiation with God over the destruction of Sodom. You probably all remember it. And the final word is, you know, uh, that comes from God is he promises, for the sake of 10 righteous people, I will not destroy
1: Sodom. Mm-hmm. You remember that story, yeah, right, Mike yeah. Moore? It starts a lot higher and goes down to 10.
0: Yes. And so Brian Sanders says it's because of this text that the number 10 becomes important, an important number in the religious life of the Jewish diaspora. Um Actually, I don't know, he uses this word minion, uh, uh, M-I-N-Y-A-N. Uh, it supposedly, and I never knew this before, okay. it is supposedly the minimum number of people over the age of 13 required for public worship hmm. and religious rites in the Jewish diaspora. And, and, and here's what's really interesting to me. It shapes their understanding that 10 people could comprise a group that would be potent enough to stay the judgment of God over a place that was full of evil. Hmm. Think about that. We can have, in our uh, in these groups of 10, we can meet, eat, share life, pray for a neighborhood, and have an amazing impact in staying the
1: forces of evil at work in our neighborhoods. Does that
0: blow your <laughs> mind, Mike Moore? I wasn't
1: going to say it blows my mind, but it, it, it does kind of reinforce the... The assumptions I already had.
0: Little groups of 10 to 12 praying people, engaging their lives, going through discipleship, and having an impact in their neighborhood. That's my prayer for our uh,
1: neighborhood fellowships in Westmont, Illinois, Peace of Christ Church. Good. Can I ask you, table fellowship is one thing, but my concern is that table fellowship can just become any other event, like a Sunday morning worship service. You know, you show up to this person's house, you go through the things that you always go through. We do this, we do this for an hour, we do this for half an hour, and we're done. Yeah. Okay. So my concern is, isn't is just about the table, it's actually about the home that the table's in. Still not, okay. I'm still yeah. not following you. That's go. Keep going, um, keep going, keep
0: going, keep going.
1: Just like table fellowship can become like Sunday morning worship, how do we actually get get our um, or dis- disciple our churches to the point where their homes are also connected with each other, where the doors are open, where there's more fluidity between people's lives, um, huh. in between households, not just between tables.
0: Huh. Okay, I'm still not with you. Keep going. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm just I feel like i'm leading so to, so you're I feel worried like I'm leading to something what are you worried about happening here? i i I'm worried about some table fellowships I've been part of you just show up and you go through the motions and then you go home and sure, yeah, it's around a rounded table okay yeah. but it's it's no different than me just showing up to a building on a Sunday morning and yeah. having a worship service,
0: yeah, so we can become rote- mm-hmm. uh you know um this is this is up to, in my opinion, the leader of the house group or leaders. And um, I really feel like uh, the, the, what becomes so important to me is the understanding that the presence of Christ comes to be present with the people when they sit around a table. And I've spent quite a bit of time arguing for this. I actually have argued, and I think... You know, obviously, I think I've done it successfully. Uh, But the Eucharist and the real presence around the Lord's table, the institutional Eucharist or that which is done with a discerning body of believers actually extends into our homes. And if we do not have a sense that the presence of Christ is here... Mm-hmm. We might indeed not be willing to submit to what he's doing, and it could become rote, but it is the job. It is our job to cultivate that presence, to call people to submit to that presence of Jesus at the table and continually remind us that God's at work in this place. And I think that's so important. Yeah. Does that
1: does that at least
0: alleviate yeah. some of your fears, Mike Moore? I mean, Moore?
1: To, to a degree, uh, the roteness, but I guess what I'm pressing on is... It's one thing to share a table and to share two hours once a week with people. But I'm actually looking to extend extend that even more. Like when we we're talking about sharing finances, sharing homes, uh, like economic impact on the church, not just sharing. I mean, a meal is good. Sure, let's start with the meal. But I think it needs to extend beyond that. Mm. You mean the practice of, of socioeconomic sharing? Yeah, because I think that's that's where discipleship happens.
0: Yeah. One of the places. Like right. in, in, in my book, not to harp on my book, folks, um, Faithful Presence, but there's a section in being with the poor or with the least of these and uh the basic core of that practice is by being with people, we share. Right and a socioeconomics happens among us that really does transform all of us not those who are just poor receiving from those who are rich that's not the point at all actually it's a mutuality in uh, sharing in the bounty of god's grace to meet all right. our needs right so anyways before we run out of time mm-hmm. uh, i want to get to really the point of that original post yeah um, where I said, you know, wh- what we need to do is we need to ask three questions. We need, as leaders, um, I always emphasize finding the apostles because they're the ones who cast vision and initiate so much. They're those kind of leaders. There are all kinds of leaders, but the apostle leader initiates and and ask these kinds of questions. Are you lonely? Are you angry? Are you lost? Even are you hungry, to get to your point, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Moore. And, uh, then invite them to uh, a table fellowship um, because if you tap into that need for loneliness, there is no—the practice of the presence of Christ and being present to one another in the presence of Christ around the table is, is the mo- i want to make an outrageous statement—the most uh, powerful a manifestation of the meeting of the need of loneliness in our souls— more than even—hear me on this because okay. you just did this—marriage. Mm-hmm. Yes. In fact, if you, if you try to import all your needs of loneliness into your marriage, your marriage is going to tank.
1: Well, yeah, I believe
0: that. We need places to be known and to know, yeah. and the practice of his presence— overcomes loneliness. the the are you angry? We have so many people struggling with antagonisms and anger over something abuse mm-hmm. in their past or or brokenness in the neighborhoods or disgusting ideologies and racisms in our community. we can begin to unwind those through the practice of reconciliation and forgiveness and being forgiven and forgiving. Hmm. Uh, That takes place around the table. And then lastly, um, you know, purpose. Are you lost and confused? We do not have enough places for people to discern what God is doing and where he's leading people in their lives. It could be a job. It could be finances, but in this is God's purposes, not just I need a job; I got to pay my bills. No, right. God's at work here in His purposes. What's He calling you to? Where is He taking you? What you're calling to be here in this place called uh, Westmont? And so, these practices of presence and reconciliation and discernment that happen around the table really do meet these 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 uh, needs that cry out for my need for God. And it's loneliness, anger. And lostness, and I would even say hunger, uh, yeah. which, by being at the table, um, we not only experience immediate fulfillment of our, our needs for food, but we we share in the in the financial and all the other needs we have in life. So, yeah. um, I just think that um, being able to go. Now, I've often said, uh, it takes fifty cups of coffee to get to ten people. It takes fifty <laughs> cups of coffee with fifty different people. To find people who are ready and willing to commit to a regular table fellowship in the neighborhood it took me a year but once it got into motion it was unstoppable it took months two three four five six seven months to cultivate the kind of presence reconciliation discernment processes um, but after that, I mean, it became the most important three hours of the week for hmm. all of us. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the message we're trying to get across is how do you shape and form these tables? They are uh, one of
1: the core building blocks of the church and its presence in the neighborhood. It's good. <clears throat> at, at the beginning, you asked me if I had a Bible. You still you still want that? Um, No. <laughs> <laughs> I just sent you up on that one. Sorry. Oh, you were. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh I just
0: think that uh the table is so present in the whole of the New Testament that if you could just of course you don't use pages, you use I don't know what you call those things on the on the app, <laughs> but you could point your finger to any page in the New Testament. You are
1: absolutely right. And the, you wouldn't f- have yeah, to go the, far the, to the, see the the, the, the presence. table the table goes all throughout scripture. We actually have a few students who are writing on that for their theses here. At Northern,
0: well, you know, th- I I think I talked too much, uh, so I just want to make some space. Do you have any concluding remarks?
1: Oh man, gosh, uh, I I have so many random thoughts. Well, going, if going somebody around.
0: was out there saying, mm. Mike Moore, what are the uh,
1: hardest? What is the biggest challenge to building a table fellowship in mm. your neighborhood? What would you say? Uh, I'd say, in my context, or at least the the age I work with, it's getting people to move from their tablets to a table. Mm. I I was I was reading Leonard
0: Sweet wrote a book with
1: that that title. <clears throat> really? Yeah. From tablet to I table. Uh, <laughs> I said that and I thought to myself that sounds kind of clever. I need I think I'll write a book. No, nope, yeah, it's already well, been done. Whoops. No original Sorry. thoughts here. No, you you're you're fine. I, I read this week that 70% of people that eat a meal by themselves they don't feel lonely cuz they're on their phone and they're con- connecting with people. Wow. And and I I think that makes sense if you if you're texting or calling somebody and you're eating. That makes sense that you're connecting to the people, but I think embodied presence is so significant. Being able to look somebody in the eye, like make sustained eye contact with them, to be able to touch them, um, or to laugh with you know laugh with them, or just the, the physicality of being in the same space with somebody, it's a ch- it's a challenge. But I think when you get people around the table, to your point, is when um, you can have awkward silence, when you can have jokes, when you can actually taste food. There's a physicality. Um, to the christian life and we experience that around a table with god and with other people
0: yeah uh and and it my my one addition there is that this will take some time because of all of the hurdles our culture has put up yeah uh and it is quite scary for some people there's still some introverts around the table that meets in my house on sunday nights at five o'clock don't don't all come over uh, this Sunday because we got a full table. But uh, and, and and frankly, I'm getting I'm getting to be a better leader by listening to those who say yes. I'm an introvert. Don't point me out in the middle of the meeting. It makes me very uncomfortable because you know I'm not that kind of guy. You point me out, and I think I, right. I I like to talk yeah, or yeah. whatever. But you know that's that's just me. Um. All right. Um. What other? Uh,
1: oh shoot! I had one more thing I wanted to say just to challenge people. Okay. Uh, and I can't remember what it was. Maybe uh, inviting people over for a meal or having a meal with somebody. I don't know. Is um, that the challenge? Shoot. Um, can't remember. Well, if somebody, if you want to read something else on this, something that you and I both read while I was just reading it, uh, that puts some language around what's happened culturally in America is David Brooks' article. Um, then It's on the nuclear family, right? On the nuclear family. Yeah, I, I posted the it on my Facebook recently. Yeah, it's... The breadth and the depth is fantastic in a short short amount of time. It's like, it's got to be like 30 pages long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Um, Also, uh, if we're kind of moving into some announcements, we have the Theology Mission Lectures coming up in June. With Fleming Rutledge. Fleming Rutledge and Scott McKnight. And we're hoping
0: to grab Greg Boyd and put him in on the stage. He'll be here that week Mm -hmm. teaching Teaching. as well. Yeah. Which reminds us we have an Anabaptist Studies program now with Greg Boyd amongst
1: others, including myself. And we have quite a few people who are uh, sending in requests just to take that class because they just want to get a taste of Greg Boyd uh, if that describes you. And the class is... uh, uh, Spiritual warfare. God, evil, and spiritual
0: warfare. Wow. And if you've read God at War, that book by him, what, that's got to be 15, Uh, 20 years ago. Uh, It's a profound biblical exposition of the issues yeah. we're facing that we seem to be almost oblivious to. So that that's another opportunity for yes. everybody out there. By the way, we're talking about Northern Seminary. We are in the basement of Northern Seminary mm-hmm. right now in the library, in the uh, Griffith Conference. No, what is it? Uh, Griffith sound, sound, sound Studio. studio. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the <but laughs> Holstcloth Sound Studio. I think we have to end our podcast yes. for now, Theology on Mission podcast, where theology meets mission, for another episode, but we'll be looking forward to seeing you again next week. If you happen to put a a review on Apple's iTunes or anything Please. else, it sure would help get the word out. Please. We love we love having more than three listeners on any given week. <laughs> Until then, it's Dave Fitch and Mike Moore saying over and out.